for Adrian before he starts. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Adrian and his dapper look this morning. But we pray, Lord, more than anything, that you will be the voice in him today, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will move him and that the words that we hear from him, Lord, will touch each and every one of us in the way that we need to hear it this morning, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your word, Lord, and thank you for your servant, Adrian. Amen. I am all mic'd up. All right, let me just get myself set here. How's everyone's week been? <laughs> not filling me with confidence this morning, guys. <laughs> oh, dear. My topic this morning is the blessings of obedience. The blessings of obedience. What's, uh, what comes to mind when we hear the word obedience? I don't know about you, but these are the, some of the things that come to mind when I think about obedience. Obedience school dropout. Can we have the next one? Dog sitting on a cat. There may be collateral damage in the early days. I like that one. Next one. That sad face of the dog looking at you going, but I sat down. I deserve a cookie. Next one. Does it ever benefit the obedient? Next one. To treat or not to treat? Next one. I reckon a few of you did this, did the human version of this when you were at school. Obedience. How do we define obedience? The thought of obedience to me, it implies the there's a, some sort of transaction takes place. There's, there's two sides to it. There's a command giver, and then there's the action taker. Would you agree? There's two sides. For obedience to take place, there has to be a command or an instruction or a direction given, and then there has to be someone to carry that out, correct? Without the command giver, okay, it's just a person doing something. Or, in the case of the dogs, it's just a dog sitting. There's no obedience there, it's just a dog decided to sit down. But without the action taker, it's essentially just a man standing there going, sit. Sit, good boy. There's no dog there, there's no one there to carry out the action. Would you agree? Now, I know that's probably an overly simple definition of obedience. But that's the kind of concept that we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you have your Bibles or your iPads or your iPhones or your Android devices, turn with me to the book of Haggai, or Haggai as some people say it. I don't know how they get that pronunciation, but they do. Chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 10 through to 19. So verse 10 in chapter 2. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If a person, sorry, if a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment 
and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, the 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Now, before I go on, I just want to give you a bit of a background to, to what's actually going on in this passage, okay? So the Israelites had been in captivity or in exile in Babylon for around about 50 years, okay? And what had happened is some of them had finally been allowed to go back to the promised land and start rebuilding the temple. And they started off doing that really well. They got the foundations laid um, they, and they got the altar built. But then they got really discouraged because some of them, some of the older generation realized that, hang on, this temple that we're, we're building is nothing like the temple that Solomon built. It's not going to be as grandiose. It's not going to be covered in gold. It's not going to be covered in jewels. We don't really like that. Why should we come back to the promised land to build something that's inferior? So they'd started to build the temple, but then the, the foundations of the temple lay there unfinished for almost 15 years, which is where Haggai comes in. God raised up Haggai because he wanted to stir the people to action, and they did. They got back into it. They started building it. But about one month later, they got discouraged again because it was hard work, and they didn't feel like they were making any progress, and so they stopped. And so that's where we're picking it up. Haggai is coming back to the people about a month after he originally went to them to stir them up, to stir them to action. God spoke to Haggai, and in, the, in uh, chapter 1, and I won't go into it too much, but he actually said to the, to the people of Israel, I will restore this house, and the, for, the glory of the former house will pale in comparison to the present house. In other words, the glory... And the pre my presence in the temple and in you as a people and my chosen nation will make Solomon's temple look like it was nothing. That's what the Lord wanted to do in the Israelites. And that's where we pick up where Haggai is talking uh, to the Israelites. So there's three things that I want to go through today. And I hope I'm not going to go too long. We should be done by about three o'clock. Um, the bless, there's three things I want to draw out of this 
Okay? The first is that the blessings of obedience require a right heart. The second thing is the blessings of obedience are in God's plan. And the third thing is the blessings of obedience are for God's kingdom. Okay? You ready? Yep. All right. Blessings of obedience require a right heart. Okay, let's just read verse 10 to 14 again. Actually, I'm going to go from verse 11, not verse 10. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priest what the law says. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, he'll probably be attacked by one of the dogs in those... No, wait, sorry, it doesn't say that. (laughs) If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. So since their exile to Babylon, the people of Israel had been focused on getting back to the promised land, which in and of itself is not a bad thing. You know, I mean, God promises you this land and you're going, well, Lord, you, you gave us that land. We want to get back there. But the problem was what started creeping in and what it led to was an attitude of once we get back to the promised land, everything would be good. Everything else would just fall into place. Everything would be good. We're not going to have to work hard. We won't have to think about it. God's in control. We're good. They started strong. And uh, as I mentioned before, they started building the temple, but they got discouraged. It wasn't as glamorous as the last one. It wasn't going to live up to the splendor of Solomon's temple. And they got discouraged. And they they started feeling like, God, we're putting in this work, but nothing's going right. It's just not happening for us. And we often live like this, don't we? Often we say, God, I went to church. God, I read my Bible. God, I was praying. We're trying to do life and sometimes it just seems like nothing is working and we get discouraged and we turn our hearts away. We stop doing what the Lord's called us to. Because sometimes it's easier to focus on our problems and focusing on sorting this out than it is to actually do what the Lord's called us to because sometimes what God calls us to do is uncomfortable. The danger with being in a place like this is that we start to put conditions on our obedience. We can start to actually put conditions on it. Craig Rochelle, he calls it selective obedience or conditional obedience where we start to live by going, okay, God, that's fine. I'll give to that person or I'll give to that cause when you sort out my financial problems. After that, I'll give. I'll work on my marriage when I've got that promotion because at the moment I have to put all my effort into work and once I've got that promotion, I'll work on my marriage. We do the whole, when I get that, I will do this. Lord, when you do this for me, or it may even be, I will do this, Lord, but you have to do this for me. It becomes a negotiation. It's not obedience. And what God's calling for us to do 
is to say, Lord, I will obey you because I love you, not because of what I'm going to get. Not because of what I'm going to get from it. You see, the blessing of God is not about what we get. It's not about us at all. The blessing, every single one of you here that has a relationship with Christ, that says, that declares that you are a Christian, you have already received the blessing of obedience. You heard the call to come and follow Christ and you received the incredible blessing of the salvation of Christ through his death on the cross. Is that not an amazing blessing in and of itself? And yet it's so easy for us to fall into the trap of saying, well, God, I want more. My finances aren't right. My relationships aren't right. My work's not going right. The things that I'm doing for you in ministry aren't going right. And God's saying, yeah, that's because I want your heart. I want your heart. I don't want what you do. It's not about what you do. You see, what this illustration of the consecrated meat in the folds of the priest's garment is about if a priest was carrying consecrated meat, it's set aside for sacrifice to God, right? If it touches something else, does that something else become consecrated? Does it become holy? And the answer is no, it doesn't. Okay? But if something unclean touches that meat, does that meat become unholy? And the answer is yes. Or if we think of it this way, okay? Um, my daughter, Savannah, she loves playing in the backyard and sometimes she gets really, really dirty hands. Now, if I go and wash my hands and then I go outside and I touch Savannah's hands, do my hands make her hands clean or do her hands make my hands dirty? My hands get dirty, don't they? And that's what the Israelites were doing. They were coming and offering these offerings. They were doing, going through the right motions but their heart wasn't in it. Their heart wasn't clean. It's not about what you do. It's not about where you are. Let's relate it to um, church on Sundays. And maybe this will make a few people uncomfortable because I know it certainly makes me uncomfortable. If you come and sit in church on a Sunday, but then during the week you go out and live a life that is in complete contradiction to the Word of God, you're walking over people at work to benefit yourself you're stealing from people you're breaking the law all the time you're living in such a way that god does not or that does not line up with the word of god does your physical presence here on a sunday make you holy does your physical presence just because you attend church does that make you holy? Does that make your heart right with God? Or is there more to it? There's a whole lot more to it, isn't there? You see, when we live this way, when we make those conditions when it comes to obedience, when we put criteria on it for God to bless us, the whole point of doing that becomes about us, doesn't it? And God's saying, he's saying to the Israelites here, this life, this promised land, this temple is not about you. 
It's about me. It's about my kingdom. And it's about your heart towards me. And he's trying to call them back to himself. He's not interested in just our actions. He wants to see a genuine heart of love for him. See, when our hearts are turned from him, it doesn't matter what we offer. It doesn't matter how high you raise your hands during worship on a Sunday. It doesn't matter how many amens you offer during the message. It doesn't matter how many amens you offer during the message. Hey, there we go. It doesn't matter what we do, everything that we offer when our heart is not right to the Lord is unholy. And that's a sobering thought, isn't it? That when our heart's not right, everything is unholy. Until we turn to look the Lord and say, we, I, I need your provision, I need your salvation, I need your love, I need your forgiveness, I need your conviction about the things that I need to deal with in my heart. Matthew, 20, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. How do we do the will of the Father? You see, we can say and do all the right things, and it's an easy trap to fall into. We can do everything right. But if our heart is not in a right place with God, how can we truly carry out His will? Because His will is focused on bringing His kingdom and His plan into action on earth. But if our heart is not right before Him, there's going to be some level of selfishness. There's going to be some level of, I want something for me in this. We can't truly serve His will without having a heart that is right before God, without having a heart that says, I lay my life before you. I mean, some of the songs that we were singing this morning, when you think about it, they were declarations of obedience. I will build my life upon your love. Declarations of obedience. Jesus was the ultimate and the perfect example of this kind of obedience. You see, it's okay to not want to do something that God's called you to. It's actually okay. God may call us to do some uncomfortable things or things that we may not like. Heck, even Jesus was called to do something he didn't want to do, and that was dying on the cross. In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. It's having a heart that so desires to serve him. And only a heart that is truly right before God can utter those words with all sincerity. I don't know about you, but when I was preparing this, that that twisted my gut. That just gave me that sense of, oh, am I truly right before you, God? Is my heart truly right before you? You see, if we have any other agenda, if you have any other ambition than to simply fulfill what God has called us to, to simply have a right heart before him, 
then we're bringing ulterior motives and that statement of not my will but yours be done becomes null and void. Not my will but yours be done cannot have any measure of our own ambition in it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 24 says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. In other words, as the Bible puts it, if your gift is defiled by sin, if what we come to offer God, we haven't dealt with the sin in our hearts, then our hearts are unclean. What we're offering God is unclean. And God's saying, if that's the case, lay it at the altar, go and deal with what you need to, and then come back and offer a sacrifice to me. Now, I'm not talking about a sacrifice of, you know, go and find a lamb and slaughter a lamb and, you know, follow the, <laughs> follow the Old Testament way of sacrificing. That's not what I'm talking about. But offering a sacrifice of love or of praise or whatever it might be. The Israelites thought that their offerings and their location in the promised land, and even um, I've read some commentaries that say um, their proximity to the temple. So what they were doing is they were building these nice houses. They were working hard and looking after themselves, but they were trying to build these houses as close to the temple as possible because they thought the proximity to the temple was what was going to be making them holy. And the Lord's saying to them, no, that's, I, I don't care where you are. It's not about where you are, your location, who you're with. It's not about what you do. All of that is fine. It's great. But if your heart is not right, it's meaningless. It's worth nothing. It's unholy. And that leads us into point number two. The blessings of obedience are in God's plan. Without a right heart, how can we know God's plan? How can we follow God's plan? Because without a right heart, there's going to be, as I said before, some level of selfish ambition. See, the people of God were so focused on themselves. Um, in chapter 1 of Haggai, verse 4, it says, Is it a time for yourselves to be living in panelled houses while this house remains a ruin? In other words, is it a time for you to be making sure that your house looks fantastic, that you've got everything that you need or could ever want, that you've got all the possessions, that you've got the nice big mansion with the great big um, you know, limousine out the front and the chauffeur and the, all the servants? Is it a time for you to be building that when my house lies in ruins? Because you can't be bothered getting off your backside to go and build it. I'm sure it wasn't, probably wasn't quite that blunt, but it was pretty close. <laughs> they were focused on themselves. Their attitude seemed, seemed to be, I'll obey you, Lord, as long as it feels good. I'll obey you as long as it lines up with what I want. I'll build my house. And hopefully while that's happening, someone will go and build yours. That seemed to be their attitude. Would you agree? It's an easy place for us to fall into. 
You see, God's plan for his people at that time was for them to return to the promised land, rebuild the temple, but it didn't stop there. His plan was, you follow me because I want to bring my kingdom. You are my chosen people. I want to bring my kingdom through you. But you're more interested in doing the right things and looking right, but your hearts are far from me. How can I... How can God let his plan play out? How can God bring his plan if our hearts aren't right? You see, with the temple laying there for nearly 15 years, unfinished, people were discouraged and disillusioned with God. And when our hearts are right before God, following his plan becomes the desire of our hearts. And that's the reason why we, it's so hard to follow his plan. It's so hard to build his kingdom. We can go through the actions, but if our heart's not right, it's not going to work because we're not desiring what God wants for our lives. It's amazing how so often, though, when we follow his plan, when our heart is right before God, our plans and his plans, isn't it amazing how they seem to align they seem to come together and all of a sudden we go, I don't know why I didn't do this before. Because God is providing, God is guiding us, God is directing. Our heart is in tune with what the Lord wants and how he wants to bring his plan and his kingdom to us and into this place and to the people around us. Verse 15 through to 18 says this. Now give careful thought to this. Where we go? There we go. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. I don't know about you, but particularly verse 17, that sounds a little harsh to me. They're working hard, yet what's, what they're producing is only half of what, it should, what they think it should be. All God had to do was bless the work of their hands. At least to me, when I read it, that's what it seemed like. Why didn't God just bless what they were doing and maybe they wouldn't have been discouraged and disillusioned and maybe they would have done the work. But you see, the thing is, as we looked at in verse 4 of chapter 1, the people were more interested in themselves. They were more interested. They were focusing on themselves. Their hearts weren't right. They weren't following God's plan. They weren't working towards God's plan. They weren't obeying him, even though they were his chosen people. They had forgotten that God is more interested in their heart. You see, the blessing of obedience comes in obeying God and carrying out his plan. That's where the blessing is. Think of it this way. Hands up here who's got children. Hands up all the parents. And anyone got ch children who are university age? Yeah, anyone got children who have 
moved away to go to university or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Nat, Nat's here crying and Mark's like, yes. <laughs> Think of it this way. If you have a child who's gone off to university and you're supporting them financially, the purpose of them going away is to get educated, is it not? To get an education, to go and finish a degree. Now, if you find out a few months down the track, you're supporting them, and we're going to assume it's full support, not just a little bit, but a full support. You find out that instead of doing the work, they're skipping classes, they're failing. They're going out partying every night with their mates and spending all your hard-earned money that you had to support them on partying and just living their own way. What are you going to do as a loving parent? Are you going to say, no worries, here, have some more because you obviously run out so you still need more money? No, you're not. I certainly wouldn't. I'd be cutting off that supply pretty darn quick. Why? Because as a loving parent, it's my responsibility to say to, those, to, to, that, to my son, my daughter, your heart is not in the right place. What you're doing, your actions and your heart do not line up with the purpose with which you have been sent there. So therefore, if you want to live that way, you're on your own. Now, you're not excommunicating them. You're not cutting them off from the family. You're not sending a bouncer around there to beat the living daylights out of them. You still love them. But sometimes we have to be harsh or seemingly harsh to show love. And that's what God's doing with his people in this. He sent blight and mildew and hail. The work of their hands wasn't producing what they thought it was because God wasn't allowing it which we don't like that image of a loving God, do we? We want a loving God to bless everything that we do, but we don't like that image. But when we think about it, it's actually a very loving thing to do. He didn't send sickness to all their children. He didn't wipe them out. He didn't destroy them and then send them off to exile again and go, well, you're not doing what I want, so see you later. Off you go. <laughs> he didn't abandon them. He simply said, I'm cutting off your supply because I want you to realize that I am your provider. I am the one that has the plan for this nation. You are my chosen people and you're not following my plan. Your heart's not right before me. Therefore, I'll cut off your supply to get your attention. Hudson Taylor Many of you would have heard of him. He was a missionary to China in the second half of the 19th century. Tell, um, there's a story about him that uh, when he was a young man, he preached in boarding houses within poor slums in London. And uh, one day, an incredibly poor man came and asked Taylor to come and um, pray for his wife. His wife, had, they'd just had another baby, um, they had a three-day-old baby, and she was dying from complications from the birth. Um, and the man didn't have any money at all. He couldn't afford to pay a priest to come and perform last rites. I mean, I'm not even going to go into paying a priest to come and pray for you. That's just, yeah, I'm not even going into that one. So he went to the man's room, and he, he found this incredibly heartbreaking situation. Several children, 
a three-day-old baby, a wife who's dying, and they're living in absolute filth and squalor because they've got no money, they've got no food. And Taylor knew when he went there, he had a $20 coin in his pocket. Now, I don't know what the inflation rate would be from back then, but $20 back then, a $20 coin would have been probably, I'm guessing, the equivalent of at least a few hundred dollars now. So he's going in there with a reasonably large sum of money. But it was all the money that he had. He he didn't have any stashed away anywhere else. It was all he had. And he began to speak to the family about God. And when he did, the Lord spoke to his heart and said, you hypocrite. You're telling these people about a loving God who they can trust in and who can provide for you when you have exactly what they need in your pocket and you're not willing to trust me without your $20, but you expect them to. You hypocrite. And he pushed on and he didn't like it and he started thinking to himself, I wish I had, I wish I had a two $10 pieces because I gladly give them one. And isn't that how we think sometimes? Oh, God, I just wish. Why do I have to give it all? Why do I have to give all my heart? Why can't you have this bit and I'll just keep this bit over here to, to do what I want to do? It's not what God wants. Anyways, Hudson pushed through and he started saying the Lord's Prayer with them. And he said the words, Our Father, and the Lord convicted him again of his hypocrisy. And right all the way through saying that Lord's Prayer with them, he was convicted and he was struggling and he had this tremendous conviction. In the end, and I don't know with what attitude he did this, but in the end, he gave the $20 to the, to the man and it was exactly what they needed. It rescued the family. It saved the life of the wife. Now, I have no idea how or if God supplied any more money to Hudson Taylor. He must have because his work went on for quite a long time. I don't know what happened after that story. But it's easy to be selective about what we obey, isn't it? It's easy to say, God, I love it when your word says, you know, you have plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a future. But give to others when I have nothing myself? Screw that. When I get that promotion or when my business takes off, then I'll give to others. My uh, eldest daughter, Savannah, she's just over four years old. She often tells me when I ask her to do something that she doesn't want to. Who'd have thought from a four-year-old? And sometimes it's in the most sincere tone you could ever hear. I might have asked her, I might have said, okay, Savannah, I want you to put all your toys away, please. And she'll look at me and go, but Daddy, I don't want to. And me being the loving father, I say, look, I understand that, sweetie. You know, but you, you, daddy's asked you to do it. You need to do it. No, usually it's, I don't care. I've told you to do it. Go and do it. <laughs> you see, sometimes what she doesn't know is that there's actually a, I have a plan and a reason for asking her to do that. Either it's because we just want the house tidy so that we're not tripping over everything 
Or maybe it's because I wanted to move her chairs and toys out of the kitchen so that we can cook the dinner that she's just been asking for. Or maybe it's because I told her earlier that if she tidied up all her toys, she can have some dessert and, or maybe a treat. She doesn't always know what the plan is. But it doesn't change the fact that when a father tells you to do something, obedience is required. And it's the same with our Heavenly Father. You see, the blessings of obedience are in God's plan and trusting Him. We obey and follow Him because we love Him, not because it benefits us. It's not about us. It comes out of a heart that longs to see His plan and His will carried out in our lives and the lives of those around us. And it's because He first loved us. You see, as I said before, we've already received the gift of salvation. We obey God because we love Him and not for what we can get. And there is a big difference. Obedience with actions is one thing. Obedience with actions and a right heart is what God's calling for. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says this. It's a well-known verse. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, when a Savannah throws a tantrum because she doesn't want to pick up her toys, she misses the fact that although I've told her to do something that she doesn't want to do, it's more often than not because I want to give her good things. She's so focused on what she wants at that point in time that she misses the bigger picture. And sometimes she misses the blessing. And when we place our own benefit and our own lives above God's plan and purpose, then we're actually taking away from God the opportunity for blessing to come. And that may not be a personal blessing. I just want to put that out there. It may not be in the form of a personal blessing to you. It may be a blessing to the body of Christ. It might be a blessing to someone else. Which leads in to my final point. The blessings of obedience are for God's kingdom. They're for God's kingdom. They're not for you. It's not about us. It never has been. When we gave our lives to Christ, we said, I offer my heart fully to you. It's not about us. It's about doing what he's called us to. Verse 19 says this, Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. There's a story, and I'm sorry, this one's not a funny one. This one's actually quite sad, but it tells of a pastor that is called to conduct the funeral of a, of a young teenage girl. And I don't know if this is true. It's just something I've read. I don't know if it's an illustration or if it's an actual true story. This teenage girl's named Mary. She's unexpectedly passed away, and a pastor's called in to do the, to do the funeral. And he arrives at the church where the family regularly attends, and he he finds the minister and says to the minister, was Mary a Christian? I didn't really know her. Was Mary a Christian? And this pained look comes across the face of the minister. And he says, you know, three weeks ago, 
I had this strong sense, this strong impulse to, that said, go and speak to Mary. But I didn't, and I don't know. And the pastor was a bit taken aback by this, but uh, a few minutes later, the Sunday school, uh, Mary's Sunday school teacher walks in, and he, and he asked her the same question, was Mary a Christian? And the Sunday school teacher says, you know, two weeks ago, I heard a voice clearly say, go and speak to Mary, and I knew exactly what it meant. I had every intention to, but I didn't, and I don't know. And the pastor's, again, a little bit taken aback, and then he sees the girl's mother, and he goes to the mother as gently as he can, was Mary a Christian? And she bursts into tears, and she sobs, and she sobs, and she sobs, and she says, a week ago, the Lord said to me, go and speak to Mary. But I was too busy and I didn't do it at the time. And I don't know. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I was almost in tears. Because it highlights to me obedience to what God calls us to do. Obedience to what God says is not about you. It doesn't matter whether it's inconvenient to you because you're too busy. It doesn't matter whether you don't want to do it. It doesn't matter. You see, the bigger picture here is that you've joined as a Christian. You are now part of the body of Christ. And there is a much bigger picture that the body of Christ is working towards, and that is bringing the kingdom of God on this earth. Is that correct? So when we don't obey God... When our heart's not right before God and we're not bringing his plan, we actually run the risk of undermining God's kingdom advancing on the earth. It's a pretty tough thought, I know. You see, obedience to God's command is not about you. It's about the kingdom. But to build God's earth, uh, sorry, to build God's kingdom on this earth it takes obedience both as a church community, as the body of Christ, and as individuals. It all works together. You see, sometimes we may not be able to see the path from the trees. We may not understand God's plan, but we have to trust him. We have to trust that he will work for the good of those who love him, as it says in Romans. We have no choice because we, God doesn't always reveal what's going on. God doesn't always show us what's actually happening. God didn't say to that minister or to the Sunday school teacher or to the mother, go and speak to Mary because she's going to die in a couple of weeks. He just said, go and speak to Mary. And we can find, if we went looking, we, I'm sure we can go and find so many stories about the opposite where people have obeyed and amazing things have come from it. God's kingdom's been revealed within that person or that situation. And that's, that's the amazing thing. That's where we see the blessing of obedience really appear. You see, our obedience will usher in the kingdom of God. It welcomes in the kingdom of God. It advances the work of God in the earth. Despite what we're going through, despite what situations and challenges we're facing, we've already received the blessing. It's called salvation. It's now our responsibility as children of the Most High God to share that blessing with anyone and everyone. 
At the end of verse 19, God makes it plain. From this day on, I will bless you. There's no two ways about that. From this day on, I will bless you. God wants to bless his people. He wants to give us good things. But so often, his desires and and good things don't line up with what we expect. Sometimes we expect it to be a personal thing or in the form of physical possessions, whether it's money or whatever else you can think of. I know I'm going a bit over time, but this last little bit is important. God wants to bless his people and I don't know about you, but one of the greatest blessings I ever have ever seen in my life is seeing someone come and stand before you and and having the opportunity to lead them to Christ. That's the physical manifestation of God's kingdom coming on this earth. That's what he's calling us to. That's the blessing of obedience. It's not about, is God going to pay my bills? Because he says multiple times throughout, throughout his word, I will provide for you. I am your provider. He's already promised that. So obedience does not need to be conditional on God doing anything for us because he's already promised it. Our obedience is about advancing the kingdom first and foremost. Our obedience has to be about his kingdom, his plan, or we don't get to see the blessing. Now, our obedience may not always be life and death, But the fact is this, we don't always know or understand why God has asked us to do something. You see, the Israelites didn't understand why they were building what they thought was an inferior temple. But if we go and look just a little bit um, earlier in that passage, in Haggai chapter 2 verse 8, it says this, The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. My presence, my glory within you will be greater than the building that you were so attached to from before. They didn't understand that the physical beauty was not the issue. That's the temporary stuff. God was saying it's about the kingdom, his house being filled with his presence and his glory. And yes, God will bless us individually and personally. He loves to do that. He loves to give us good things. He is a good and a loving God who wants the best for his children. But that can't be what motivates us to obedience because that's a selfish heart. Again, Matthew 6.33, as I um, quoted before, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, the world believes that us as Christians should not be seen and not be heard. The world believes that we've part, the world's progressed past this futile belief in gods, that religion is just a cover. It's just another way for people to push their own agenda, something for people to hide behind because they don't want to face something. The question is, Are we going to obey as a church and individuals in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of the world saying to us, sit down, shut up, you should be silent and hidden. Are we going to obey when God says, I want you to go out and preach the gospel? 
It's not going to be easy. The enemy is not going to make it easy for us. Are we going to obey when the finances are tight and God says, go and help that person? You know, sometimes, sometimes whatever situation you're in, it's easy for us to say, you know what, God, I'm sure you have a plan for that person's life. But the problem with that thinking is that what if you are God's plan? What if there's a reason he's sending you to that situation or to that person? What if you are God's plan? Are we as a church going to obey when he tells us to do something, when he tells us to move into a particular area of ministry? Are we as a church going to obey even though maybe all humanly wisdom would say not to? And I'm not talking about doing silly, blind things because one person says, hey, this is what I think God's saying. Let's run off and do it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when the word of God comes so clearly that you can't ignore it. Are we going to obey? You see, God promises the Israelites that he will bless them from this day forward. God promises blessings for his children, but our hearts must be right before God then the obedience can come. Then comes the blessing. You see, the blessing may come from leading a friend or family member to Christ. The blessing may be seeing a marriage restored. It may be seeing a godly government in this or any country. It may be simply seeing your children grow up to have a strong relationship with Christ. Or it may mean never even seeing the blessing. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 to 16. And uh, we all know this. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. I found this quote from a preacher, and we're almost done. And it says this, Brethren, whatever the good God tells me to do in this blessed book, that I am going to do. If I see in it that I must jump through a stone wall, I'm going to jump at it. And I love this bit. Going through it belongs to God. Jumping at it belongs to me. You see, we don't always know what's on the other side of God's call. We don't know what's on the other side of obedience. But God does. Going into all the world and preaching the gospel is our responsibility. Whoever believes and is baptized, that's God's responsibility. That's not our responsibility. We just have to obey. It's about a right heart before God that seeks to carry out his perfect plan so that we can see his kingdom come on this earth. That's where the blessing is. One last verse, Romans 8 verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We're called to go into all the world. But without a right heart before God, 
without following his plan and without understanding that it's about his kingdom and not about our own blessing, we're never going to be able to do that. We're going to have communion now. I know I've gone over time. And what we're going to do is, as you're taking communion, I'm just going to play a song and the, the lyrics are going to be up on, this, on the screen as well. It's called Here I Am by Michael W. Smith. Some of you may know it. And it's a powerful declaration. The, the chorus says, here I am, ready to give up my life for you. Here I am, ready to pour out my heart for the one. And if you are in that place where you are ready to say, Lord, here I am. Here's my heart, wholly and completely submitted to you. Then fantastic. And during this song, you can stand, you can sing, you can sit quietly and listen, you can kneel, you can whatever you want. But let God speak into your life. Let God speak into your heart. Let him show you those things that we need to address. If you're not in that place where you can confidently and 100% with all your heart say that, then I encourage you, sit down, sing whatever you need to do, but spend some time with God. Let God speak into your heart so that he can minister to you and your heart can be made right before him. So let's take communion and we'll uh, have the song.